Hello everyone and welcome back to A Pint with Peter. It's the podcast where we combine enlightenment with a touch of humour. Joining me and my trusty mate Chris is of course the man himself, Peter, as he embarks on the mission to bridge the intergenerational gap. And he seems to think the best way of doing that is using the history of music as a bit of a backdrop. In this episode, our musical journey continues as we delve deeper into the captivating rise of punk. But before we dive into the chaos that is punk, we're putting Chris on the hot seat with the burning question. Does he have a soft spot for Elton John? So folks, grab your pint glass, settle in, and let's get back to it. In journalism, you had the kind of pop kind of side of things. Your Abba, your Elton John. You had all that kind of middle of the road. I think it's mulch. I mean, maybe you, Chris, like Elton John. I don't know. I don't mind. I never had much time for it. Then then you had more indie rock. Later on, we could possibly do it tonight. I don't think I'll get that far. Some of the key players of that era, I'm talking journalism here, were Julie Burchill. Are you familiar with Julie Burchill? Mm -hmm. Danny Baker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Peel was a yeah. massive, massive influence. I find people like John Peel really interesting. Is John Peel was the archetypal hippie? You know, if you go back to to when he started, he was really laid back. You know, he had the long hair, but he introduced punk music to it. He had a massive audience to a lot of people, and they. What I'm saying is the music on its own couldn't have got to the position it did brief without the help of the journalists, of the, you know, of the press, of, of the you know, different kind of music biz. you with me? It was like a coming together. What, what I find interesting is people who were hippies, who actually morphed into the punk scene, I find that really, really interesting. If you look at pictures, uh, another key mover, because I'm talking Manchester here, another key mover was a guy called Tony Wilson, who, who had, a, yeah. um, who had a, a show, and he was one of the first to um, promote punk music. I mean, Caroline Coon, I think, was a really interesting character. Do you remember Caroline Coon from when I was talking about uh, the Isle of Wight? She actually established a drugs agency called Release. Remember I told you, you know, at the Isle of Wight, they actually had what was called a release tent. Oh, yeah. And I didn't go in it because I was having a bad trip or anything. I do remember it. You know, it, it had kind of blankets on the floor and coloured carpets and things it had dream catchers and nice music and joysticks and if you're having a bad time that's where you went to get advice and help on drugs but a decade later she um you know was writing for the melody maker and um you know she she really pushed it but the other thing i want to get into tonight is class because caroline coon was um really really upper class yeah Remember the other thing about Caroline Coon? She's, I know you like your art. She's, you want to check her artwork out. She has a fascination with penises. <laughs> yeah, but I've got, I've got a quote from her here. Um, she managed briefly the Clash. Um, yeah, the Clash. They were, yeah. uh, and, and she said when she was working with the Clash, there I was, the offensive hippie, arguing with Joe Strummer of the Clash. But actually, and that's why I think you and I are here. There was this wonderful dialogue between the generations taking place. And Joe Strummer said to me, Caroline, you've failed, you boring hippie. 
And she said, no, Joe, this is how it really was. And we're going to do things differently. So, you know, you had like any trend or um, fashion, you had the people who were at the epicenter of it. Then you, then you had others who kind of quite happily joined in. Are you with me? It's really interesting. But around the same time, although the underground punk thing was, was really big, you, you still had bands um, you know, like Pink Floyd who, who just carried on, mainly because I think they were pretty bloody fantastic at what they did. Because I, I think that always applies. Because the, the truth is, punk was incredibly short-lived. And what followed punk you call it new wave or whatever some great music came after punk but some of your big hitters like pink floyd and so on like queen for example they just basically carried on regardless i think the stones were for me were finished by that time i know you like me rabbiting <laughs> on about the stones and um another person i find really really interesting I said I wouldn't use that word interesting, didn't I? Riveting. Riveting is, do you want me to hold up the list to you? Is uh, John Cooper Clark. Mm. Do you remember John yeah. Cooper Clark? Oh, well, John Cooper Clark, I think last time I talked about it, he was talking about the guy being threatened with that guy who was coming back from Kathmandu, yeah, yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah. I remember In that. fact, I think you called the podcast after him, didn't Possibly. you? Possibly, it was, yeah, it was yeah, quite a funny Yeah, you did, but... I think people like John Cooper Clark really exemplify the kind of cultural tensions. I mean, you guys would have felt cultural tensions when you were growing up. I'm talking about pop cultural tensions. I mean, you, you were probably playing around in your head thinking, do I want to join this tribe or do I want to join that tribe? Did, did, did you feel that at any time? Possibly, because we went to quite a chavvy school and yeah. I was definitely more in the moshery one, so... Yeah. Around for a bit in year seven, I was like, do I be a turncoat and go to the chavvy side to survive? Yeah, but yeah, then yeah, I yeah, found yeah, yeah. people of similar musical interests. I was like, oh, there we go. I've got a tribe now. What do you think, the, what you're calling the chavvy people? Do you think they were even interested in music? Or? Oh, maybe just rap and hip hop. I don't know. Ah. Yeah. So when you were in your early teens, rap had really taken off yeah yeah because it was in its infancy wasn't it really i mean it depends on who you talk to i mean i didn't really want to talk about it tonight but i I remember as a brit i think the first mainstream song that resembled rap would have been uh, i think it was a sugar hill gang wasn't it white lines oh yeah white lines don't do it grandmaster flash yeah Yeah. i mean probably it's like a very american genre is it is very yeah very um weirdly enough though recently i've been listening to jay-z quite a lot yeah oh some great songs yeah yeah i mean i've I've never really kind of listened to him before but yeah i've been doing some listening to him at work what i've been doing you've got you've got to be open-minded be absolutely i think as a teenager you you are very yeah you are because you're like this is my tribe's music i need to listen to this yeah but then when you get older, you're like, wait a minute, that was really so I'm, good. I'm discovering him about 20 yeah. years later. Because for me, it's New York, isn't it? Yeah. yeah that's, that's a great it song. Is. The only reason I mentioned it is probably 15 minutes ago, you mentioned the all that that place can inspire and i think that song is quite it, an, yeah. an epic song that really gets over oh, i think it does big and i agree 
But to people like John Cooper Clark, although he probably kept it quiet, he was a real detractor and uh, he saw, probably like your mum's parents and my parents, uh, they saw you as a dosser. Does that term mean anything yeah. to you? A dosser. And what does a dosser mean to you nowadays? Trump. Layabout. Yeah. Probably the same. Interesting. So, you know, a dosser, you know, back in my day, because I probably would have been seen as a dosser, you know, you had your bedroll, you had your embroidered shoulder bag from bloody Morocco or somewhere like that. And uh, I I guess you were trying to emulate somebody like Jack Kerouac, you know, Jack Mm. Kerouac on the road, that kind of thing. And uh, if you listen to him in conversation or or read his book, which is here, I mean, he saw... um, Hippies as pretending, you know, to be ruthless, uh, pretending to be kind of rambling troubadours. Do you know what I mean? Just uh, and would-be rebels with long hair. I mean, I think I was pretty rebellious actually. An army surplus togs, yeah, that would have been me. You can see me with me army greatcoat and me bedroll, and uh, we used to hitch down to places like Cornwall. And sleep on the coast in the in the pillboxes, you know, the wartime, mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that sort of thing. I'll tell you what was good though. I don't know if I mentioned it. I know, I know I'm dis- detracting here, but um, I'll tell you what was great. You know, hitchhiking was easy back then. On a number of occasions, I remember coming back from from Cornwall, which is a hell of a way from you know from the Midlands. People would stop. I mean, they wouldn't just give you a lift. There's nothing sinister in this, by the way. You'd actually go back and stay the night with them. Hmm. Yeah? Can imagine that. Then. Can you can you imagine that now? You get murdered. Yeah. I mean, may, yeah, maybe smoke a joint and maybe, you know, have um, you know, something to eat and so yeah, it was great. I mean, I did actually see a hitchhiker at limb services. No. Really? I was just about to say like before covid, you see the odd one. Yeah. yeah. But you don't see them anymore. I, I did I did slow down to look at his sign just in case, but I think well, he wanted to get to Manchester and yeah. I wasn't heading that. So far. I I I guess the origins of hitchhiking would have been during the war and post war. Mm. Because, you know, clearly if you were wearing a uniform and you were on leave, you know, you, you'd get a lift. You see, the whole point is, if you, it's before my time. Even in the 50s, you know, I, I was obviously born in, in the 50s. Not many people had cars, mm. that is the whole thing. But hitchhiking, as you say, I mean, I, I think it was knocked on the head in the 80s, wasn't it? After, um, well, you wouldn't know because you weren't born, but... <laughs> You had a few high-profile murders and abductions mm. and, and so on. I mean, f- for him, the hippies were a snotty malcontent tribe who supported primitive raucous music. And if you think about people like John Cooper Clark, and this fits in with the punk ethos, you've always got the drugs. You see, the hippie thing, which I spent quite a number of podcasts on, was all about smoking dope and dropping acid. Yeah, I feel like the ravers of, of this generation's kind of came back to it. Yeah, 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 kind of. Yeah, but for people like John Cooper Clark, which reminds me of a couple of people I told you about, his Bible would have been Mims, the Monthly Index of Medical Specialities. <laughs> Are you with me? So weirdly, he was way ahead of the curve because his big thing was speed, and and you'll find with punk, a few people believe that it was punk and speed. They, they really went together because it's there in the music. Yeah. You go upstairs into my attic and bring down many albums from the previous period. You know, like some of it is quite trippy and dreamy, 
and relaxing. And certainly a lot of the Krautrock stuff is quite hypnotic. He um, talks, if, if, you, if you read his book, about uh, some of the places I, I remember really well. Really tawdry clubs. So the tawdry club thing was pretty central. The two I remember were Stone Ground. No, it's not a flower. Is it? Nowadays, you mentioned yeah. Stone Ground. It's, it's like a posh flower, isn't it? Stone ground flower. Oh, yeah. Stony ground. Yeah. Well, the idea is it's stoned ground, isn't uh, it? Yeah, it, was, it was cool to be stoned. I mean, I've been. And the, the other one, which I'll talk to you a little bit about later, was called the Electric Circus. Great name, isn't yeah, it? The Electric like Circus. Yeah. I mean, the Electric Circus. I, I was lucky because, um, you know, the girlfriend I told you about, Dagnia, she was from a Latvian family and she was trained to be an opera singer. Do you remember me telling you? Well, way down the line from me, she actually was the girlfriend of the guy who managed the um, Electric Circus. He's <laughs> co-manager of it. Co-manager probably meant back in those days, by the way, probably just opened the doors and sold some beer. Did she ever achieve her opera dream? I don't know, because she, like most women and me, Russ, I think she got Careful. completely disaffected with me, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, got fed up of me. Uh, but both those places, anybody who's listening who remembers you know, Manchester during the 70s, Stone Ground and particularly Electric Circus were really pivotal. One thing I find really fascinating, I don't know what you guys make of it, I used to, um, obviously I've worked in Chorlton for a long time, oddly, there was a really, or a couple of venues actually, there's a really big venue, you can check it out on the internet, in Chorlton, on Barlamore Road, called The Oaks. It was one of those massive Victorian pubs. Like I guess it just sounds like a pub. The yeah. Oaks, and it was yeah massive. Because I, I think a lot of these Victorian pubs back in the day would have been commercial hotels. Because pre-war, it's certainly between the wars, you had a lot of people who were commercial travellers. Mm. You know, people obviously used to travel up and down the country selling their wares and. Uh, the Oaks was a, a principal punk venue. To be honest with you, I've been there on a handful of occasions, but The Oaks, and if anybody's interested in the punk genre, you definitely had The Clash playing there, you had The Damned playing there, and they had a couple of up-and-coming acts up from London, and one of those was Susie and the Banshees, if you, if you know them. I think they're really good, well, we're really good, actually. The Oaks, but... What I was going to mention to you is, it sounds like it's prehistory. These clubs, they were only allowed a music license if they sold food. <laughs> uh, I remember. Do this you? about the hatch. Well, that too. But, to but, but, when, but, hatch. but when you went to a gig, you you paid your ten shillings and mm. sixpence off. 15, don't forget decimalisation came. Now you would have been, no, decimalisation I think was 1971. So you would have been paying, you know, a quid. I mean, a quid was a lot of money. And, and, and you were given, it was something like a raffle ticket actually. And, and that was for your food. That was your food token. And I think what Chris is remembering, the food was as simple as a hamburger. I was going to say, didn't we compare it to lockdown? When yeah, like, yeah, things yeah. opened up yeah. again and they, yeah. they were selling scotch eggs and it was like, well, it, it's yeah. food. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, mm. it's a really good parallel, actually, yeah. So you, you have your food ticket and, yeah, it's really weird. And but, I assume you didn't have to have the food if you didn't want to. Oh, God, no. I mean, a lot, It'd be of, awful. A lot of it was awful. Oh, by the way, do you know what John Cooper Clark 
typical crude Mancunian humour. Do you know what straight leg trousers were called? Shite catchers. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't make it. Well, you could actually. I, I think that's a real Mancunian thing. But the main influences, and I've got some albums there to show you. I know we don't have Zoom or anything. Uh, people like me and, and John Cooper Clark, it, obviously, he, he was. Interesting, he's older than me, John Cooper Clark. I think he's about five years older than me. But uh, he had the look and he had the staying power, do you know what I mean? I mean, I reckon John Cooper Clark is maybe 75 years old now, maybe, I don't know. But he would have been into the Velvet Underground. Have you heard of them? Mm, yeah, I've heard of that. I've got a couple of Velvet Underground albums here. This, um, that's not the most famous one. Do you have any Velvet Underground tracks? You know, they're quite druggy. I couldn't uh, name them off the top of my head. And Atonal. Another biggie was uh, The Stooges. Iggy Pop and The Stooges. There you are. There he is. That's Raw Power. He's very feminine. Holding up Raw Power. Um, do you know any of the songs of this album? I mean, you can you can tell what the stuff's about. It's got side one, Search and Destroy. Your pretty face is going to hell. Penetration, raw power, shake appeal. And the final track, side two, is death trip. <laughs> I'm just giving you an idea of what the content would have been. But Iggy Pop would have been around in the early 70s. And um, there is... This actually is a, is a copy. This is a compilation of... Um, that's what the Stooges looked like. What I'm trying to get over to you is, I mean, look at those guys. They look like hippies, don't they? Mm. And yet the music they were playing was very raw and very, very powerful. And of course, you had later, you had the Ramones. But around that time, if you would have said the word punk to anybody, such as myself, you would have thought that punk meant an American delinquent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? You dirty punk. You know, you know, there's kind of movies like On the Waterfront and stuff like that. You had MC5, which I was playing when you came in. I mean, MC5, you you heard the music. Very, very raw, very raucous, very passionate. Again, I think a couple of them were actually quite good players, and uh, they, I think, were really influential. Also, Patty Smith. Does that mean anything to you? Yeah, Patty Smith. Patty Smith. I've got I've got a Patty Smith album here. Do you know her most famous album? Yeah. It's, called, it's called Horses. There she is. So the thing with Patty Smith. It, like John Cooper Clark, she was also a poet. Yeah, so there she is. Very proud. Yeah, compacted awareness, gems flattening, long streams of resin tools, cool system of destined wax sculpt. Yeah, it's good stuff, isn't it? Like, I recommend, yeah, why I mention some of these albums is they're well worth listening to. Patty Smith, you know, some of the songs they hold up today. Mm. What I'm saying to you, I mean, see, one of the core reasons why punk took hold i'm not going to spend too much time on it because i've talked to you about it before politically economically around the 75 76 you had what was called the winter of discontent do you remember i've told you about this before you know where the power supply yeah it's quite unimaginable for you guys i'd say you know the power would be cut off stuff like that the classic bodies were piling up in the streets you know there's massive strikes and so on 
I should know from the Midlands and um, I'm not making this up. I remember going back to my hometown, walking around and uh, I didn't need to be told. There was a kind of tangible air of uh, desperation and despair and worthlessness and a lack of purpose. Yeah. Mm. And that definitely is what drove punk. If you look at a later age where you had new romantics and stuff like that, that's when you had the kind of loads of money vibe. So the economic circumstances of a time drives musical taste up to a point. And if you look at MC5 and the Stooges, I mean, MC5, it's, it's a giveaway. They're, MC5 stands for Motor City 5. They came from Detroit. Yeah, and Detroit. I don't know if you've seen documentaries re recently of Detroit. It's an, yeah. it's an incredible it's... thing. Detroit, even then, when MC5 and the Stooges were forming, was being de-industrialised. I was going to say, is that the one where it's like falling apart? Yeah, Detroit is Motor City. You know, they, they manufactured probably bloody hundreds of thousands of cars. Then the whole industry declined. And there's a wonderful documentary, I'm sure you've seen it, showing these massive car plants that have just been left to rot. Yeah. And you can see whole streets of enormous houses. And they've just, just been left with all the furniture and stuff in it. It's incredible. But back then, I mean, there was alienation. I think the key word here is alienation. And bands like the Stooges and... Um, MC5. They were fueled by dope and a lot of alienation, if you want. And uh, that, of course, kind of gave the lie to hippie idealism. And if you listen to the music, it, it is very crude. It's almost savage and snarling. You must have heard Iggy Pop singing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not really singing, is it? It's a bit like bloody guy from Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne later on. They're not great singers, no, are no, they? They really, they really slam it out. And the, the other thing that I think really influenced punk, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, I, I think bands like them, well, certainly Velvet Underground, certainly the Stooges, I think they weaponised boredom. You know, that kind of uh, first world decadent feeling of I'm bored. I think one of his songs is actually called I'm Bored. Um, a lot of the songs on that album are punk classics. I Want to Be Your Dog and No Fun. That's a great song. I Want to Be Your Dog. I love that. Would you like to be somebody's dog? Not really. Yeah, that's not yeah. a king coming yeah. to, sadly. But um, the other one, if, if you, as you know, I've, I've got bloody shelves full of, of uh biographies and autobiographies you know written by people who were around at this time so if you take away john cooper clark i can't recommend too highly again johnny rock if you read his stuff i mean they really hated hippies in a way because I told you before i hope i've painted a picture for you incredibly during the 70s a lot of London was squatted, yeah? A lot of London was kind of semi-derelict, and uh, the hippie kind of thing, particularly in places like Notting Hill Gate, was squatting in buildings. You take somebody like John Lydon, he came from a really hard-working Irish family. They really kind of valued hard work, and they hated squatters. They hated their jostics, the hippies' jostics. They were stoned all the time. They were silly, contemptible caricatures. Before punk, music was run by middle-class university graduates, and those students became yuppies. 
Yeah, the yuppies mm. of the 80s. And I think for Johnny Rotten, they saw the... I mean, you you must feel this now in a way. They saw the working class as being thick and stupid. And that's still there now, oh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely still, still there. there. I've told you before, my friend Ollie, who lives in a posh part of Bristol, you know, they, they really do think... Um, I'll show you later when we finish. I did a picture of myself wearing a, a flat cap. Uh, and eating yeah. a pie with your sister's whippet. Yeah. <laughs> but they really do... I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm stereotyping. They really do think like that. Hippies wanted to be friends, but I, I think with um, the punk ethos, and I don't think it was political. They wanted to be frank. They wanted to, to be honest. And they wanted to destroy what they saw was effete and ineffectual. Am, am I painting a picture for oh, you? Oh, yeah, most definitely. The thing is, though, if you get that John Lydon book, he's actually sitting there with long hair. And at one point, I mean, this would have been very common. I, I had it. You know, his old man came and said, you fucking look like a girl, you cunt, with that <laughs> hair, yeah? And around that time, uh, I'm painting a picture for you here, he had quite a lot of football hooliganism, you know, a lot of violence, feathing and anarchy, yeah? But even so, people like Johnny Rotten and a lot of the punks... Guess who they'd be listening to? Who, who do you think? I've mentioned this before. Skewered, not just the late 60s and the 70s, but went into the 80s and would have had a lot of credibility, even with punks. Who do you think would have had that? Jimi Hendrix. Power. Yeah, they would have listened to Hendrix, some of them, definitely. I, I'm thinking David Bowie. Um, yeah. I'm thinking David Bowie. Yeah. Alice Cooper. George Alice Cooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the band I've missed out um, that would have been influential, which I think is really interesting, these guys. Now, I don't have one of their albums because I think it would cost an awful lot of money. They were called the New York Dolls. Mm. You heard of them? Yeah, yeah. they rings a bell. Uh, I mean, New York Dolls, um, apparently really kind of nice kids, but um, the big thing was, and I think there's a lot of controversy on this, if you listen to Johnny Rotten, he will claim that punk was a discreet British phenomenon. That's his view. But they were managed by Malcolm McLaren, who I've mentioned before. Malcolm McLaren, Vivian Westwood, that whole kind of sex. They had a boutique called Sex and so on. McLaren, very much as Rengali, or punk, he went over to the States and spent a lot of time there. He would have, I think he would actually managed New York Dolls huh. for a time. And he really picked up on what over there was the punk vibe with the Ramones, I guess. The Ramones would have probably just been starting off. And, uh, you know, he's dead now, so you can't talk to him. But I think, I think some people believe that McLaren in particular brought that, the ideas behind punk to Britain. You with me? Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of what he would have seen there yeah, the clothing in particular, because, you know, you know, obviously the hippie thing was, I've got a picture here, I mean, these were my friends, evidence, there we are, there's um, a picture of two quite close friends at the time, and I think you'll agree, they are quite hippie-ish, aren't they? Oh yeah, very yeah. hippie So the girl indeed. is wearing yeah. a kind of caftan, yeah. she's got really long hair, the guy... Massive punks, though. The guy has got... Um, yeah. A massive curly hair. And they, they called their son Jimmy, by the way, after Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> so God knows what happened to Jimmy. But the whole the whole punk thing 
it was um, bondage trousers. Yeah. These were all designed, by the way, by uh, Vivian Westwood and you know, very creative people. And they, funnily enough, also had the T-shirts called Tits T-shirts. Hmm. You know, the ones middle-class guys when they're doing their cooking wear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with breasts on mm. Then you had the safety pins, yeah. You had the ripped T-shirts. Then you had the tatty mohair sweaters, and the and what this is what interests me: the black suede creepers. They took another intersection, which I find really interesting. The early punk ethos was very heavily influenced by the Teddy Boys. <laughs> the Teddy Boy vibe went right into the eighties. Interestingly. Um, and it was taken up actually by younger people that's a different story for a different day but Bowie was very influential I'm going to finish tonight we had about an hour hour and ten okay mm. that's me would you say hippie boy. yeah hippie 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 so I've got long hair I've got a kind of tank top on he looks like the teacher trying to be cool yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you probably got it in one there then there's me a little bit later do you think I'm moving away from the hippie thing? Slightly. Yeah. Yeah, notice I've got the leather jacket, yeah. the leather mm. jacket and the patterned shirt. Yeah. But this is where I'm going to finish. There's another picture of me. That's taken in Hyde Park, by the way. Now, do you notice my hair? Guessing that one's you in the middle. It just shows what a shallow person I am. So my hair there, who do you think I was emulating or David, trying to? David Bowie. David Bowie. So how would you describe that hair? What would you call that hair, Julie, with the long piece at the back? Is it a mullet? Yeah, yeah normally it's a mullet. Can you yeah. see that? My father yeah. had a mullet. That's yeah. what I'm calling the yeah. episode. So there you are, the final picture tonight. I'm holding up a copy of David Bowie's... It looks too long on the sides. Aladdin yeah. Sane. And there's me. You weren't fully committed Not to that fun. mullet. Not fully committed, no. I certainly wouldn't have been able to um, go into work with a Mohican. Do you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so next time we'll venture a little bit further into this punk thing. And uh, because we are Manchester people, why it's worth telling you about all this stuff is the main punk deal was London, obviously. I would argue if you were looking for the second city of punk, it would be Manchester. That's what I like to hear. That's, it would be Manchester. And do you know, I mean, any, anybody who knows about this kind of stuff, I mean, it's an absolute cliche. Allegedly, it's a, it's a bit bit of a... It's not a myth, actually. It's true. Do you know where, where it all came from? Do you know where the... Free, tra free Trade Hall. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. It's yeah. really interesting. Opposite Brewdog on St. Peter's Street. Yeah. Oh, it's now a Blue Radisson Hotel. That's right, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know that one. It was also roughly the location of the Peterloo Massacre as well. Weirdly. Yeah, no, it's not, that's really interesting. It's weird. That's it's riveting. It's, that's riveting. Yeah. What will happen there riveting. next? It's, yeah. That's a really engaging, entertaining, stimulating <laughs> point at which to finish. So yeah. Thank you very much. Perfect. See you next time. Minus the trust.
Well, everyone, it's time to wrap up this week's episode and it sounds like we've got something exciting in store for next week. Yes, we're diving headfirst into the vibrant world of the Manchester punk scene. As you know, Chris and I are both proud Mancunians and can barely contain our excitement for this next episode. Let's hope Peter doesn't let us down. If you happen to be one of the seasoned punks who experienced the Manchester scene in its glory days, especially back in the 70s, we'd love to hear your stories. Your memories and experiences are invaluable to us and will play a crucial role in shaping our next podcast episode. Seasoned listeners by now should know how to get in contact with us, but if you need a reminder, drop us a message via email using a pintwithpeter at gmail.com or if X is your thing, we ain't on Twitter anymore, head to at a pint with Peter. Well, everyone, thanks for being part of our journey once again and on to the next one.